Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Berks World Podcast. I'm here today with my manager who I worked with at Conagra. Uh, he's given me a whole bunch of insight during my short time here, and I'd love to share that with every one of you, uh, future food science students out there and uh, people looking to get into the industry. Uh, so we'll get right into it. Uh, here's Colin. Please introduce yourself. Uh, just a short little quick intro. Yeah, uh, I'm Colin Kazard. I've uh, been in product development for about 10 years now, a uh, student at the University of Idaho originally, and uh, working for ConAgra Brands at the moment. Nice. So, in our short time here, we found that we both love cookies, and you told me a great story one time about how you made the perfect cookie. I'd love you for you to share that once more. Sure. Yeah, that was uh, around the start of my interest in food science. It was in high school. Um, I knew that, you know, everyone has their so-and-so's grandma makes the best cookies or whatever, and I, I didn't understand the differences because the, at face value, for a chocolate chip cookie, the, re- the ingredients are all the same um, recipe to recipe, like slight tweaks in amount, but nothing that made sense of why people would swear by one cookie recipe over the other. Um, so I wanted to make my own. Um, I tried a bunch of recipes that I could find, I uh, converted them into percentages, started comparing differences between them and tweaking and tweaking oven conditions and cookie sizes all over the place. Uh, There was about a year, year and a half there where I was making cookies every day after school in a small batch, um, bringing them to my friends who would evaluate them, tell me which ones were best. Um, I I didn't finally get to my recipe. I guess my the real learning from it all was that the whole time I wanted the perfect cookie and the answer is that most people like grandma's cookie for nostalgia and that the perfect cookie is very much individualized so the best I could come up with is the perfect cookie for me personally okay Um, but I'm happy to have that so (laughs) and um what was that like what what ended up being the perfect mix what was your uh, go-to process for making that yeah, the, the only real difference from a normal cookie recipe, and you'll hear this all the time, is uh, underbaking. Uh, many people think that the cookie is not done yet at stages when it very much should be done a huge amount. Uh, 10 up to 20% of the baking can happen after you take it out of the oven. Um, so that's a big piece of it for mine. I did try some fancier things sometimes. I browned my butter ahead of time. Uh, I used miso paste sometimes um, and to give it a more savory character, toasted nuts sometimes. There's lots of ways I could tweak it, and it kind of depends what I'm in the mood for. Like sometimes I want a fancy, savory cookie experience, and other times I just want like simple, clean. Um, I, I will say molasses level and dark brown to white sugar ratios is pretty important and I recommend for anyone making cookies at home to always weigh all your ingredients because there's no way a cup of sugar is the same uh, amount of sugar in different climates especially for brown and flour okay you also told me about uh, you spent some time at uh, getting your associates in baking Uh, what was kind of the reason behind that uh, especially when you already started with the food science degree. Uh, yeah, I mean, I always wanted to go to culinary school. Um, when I was in high school, I thought I wanted to go straight to culinary school. That was my goal. Um, 
I suppose I should caveat mostly baking and pastry was my interest set, as you can tell from the cookie story, as well as several other side projects that I had at the time. I got into chocolate work later. Um, so all of those steered me towards culinary school, but my parents cautioned me against it. Um, it's harder hours, it's harder work, harder to make money that way. I wish it weren't that way, and sometimes I still feel like I could have been happy just going right into the restaurant industry, um, but uh, my parents convinced me to go to college first, um, and were also unwilling to support any uh, <laughs> endeavors into culinary school. Uh, so I went to college first, I told the first professor I talked to that I wanted to study the thing most related to cooking that I could, thinking it might be nutrition. Um, he pointed me towards food science, which I hadn't heard of at the time, studied food science, and then as soon as I had worked for enough years to save up money for culinary school, I went and paid my own way to culinary school. Gotcha. And I guess that was a pretty uh, fun experience getting to know what it, what cooking was from a non-science perspective. Or did you find that there were a lot of similarities uh, that uh, you could just kind of hop back and forth? It's amazing to me how little people talk about the similarities. The reality is in food science, you're still designing products that people are going to eat. You still need some level of culinary expertise to do that effectively. And uh, similarly, in the, in the culinary world, you need to know the science behind what you're doing, or at least the practical application of that science in order to understand how to adjust your recipes. But what I found is that there's not as much overlap as I thought. Amongst my classmates in food science, there was a very small minority of them who were also interested in cooking. And even now in a professional setting, it's not as common as, as you might think. Um, I'd say on the culinary side, there's a lot more passion for learning the science. Um, but uh, there, it's still a lot of complicated concepts at times without the full food science background. But I did end up talking through a lot of the science that I knew with my classmates in culinary school. And that's what I traded for their help with the artistic side because I've always had more of the scientific approach. When it comes to decorating a cake or something, I'm always gonna do worse than some of them. Yeah, uh, and I think that's part of the reason why I went into food science as well was the creative aspect of culinary. Just like I'm, something about the rigidity of the science just meshed more with me, and uh, I also find find the that the fact that a lot of food science students don't really like to cook um, to be very true, especially when like anytime you say oh I'm a food scientist I mean oh do you do you cook a lot and a lot of people kind of assume that but no it, you might you'll be really surprised at how many people actually just buy frozen foods or get takeout most of the time as opposed to just cooking for themselves. You're, you were also a chocolatier at some point. Was that during your college years? And uh, how did you manage being basically an entrepreneur during that time? Yeah, chocolate work and I have kind of a long history. It started back in high school. Um, after my cookie endeavors, uh, I wanted to do something new and different. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of people can make whatever bake good. I wanted to try to challenge myself, I suppose. And um, we had, a, at least at the time, there was a very well-known chocolate shop in the Portland area where I grew up, um, Moonstruck Chocolate. Uh, we'd hang out there quite a bit. Um, they had very 
fancy, ornately detailed truffles all the time. And I wanted to understand how that could happen. Like a, a lot of my early curiosity was how does this food product get made? How does that food product get made? And for chocolate, I couldn't answer that question. So I bought a couple books. Uh, I studied as best I could, uh, taught myself chocolate tempering the hard way with a lot of trial and error, yep. um, and uh, ended up with something pretty good. Um, in high school, uh, it took it was mostly outside my budget to do uh, as much testing as I wanted. So it started by me just asking anyone to bring me any chocolate that they had lying around that they wanted to donate to the cause. <laughs> and then I would take it and I would try and temper it and turn it into something and then give whatever I made with it back to them. Hmm. Um, then it spiraled from there. We started doing some fundraising work. Um, there was assorted natural disasters that uh, the school would fundraise for, and then I would often get tapped to do my chocolate work for that purpose. Uh, I scaled it up quite a bit, and a lot of my friends at the time were interested too, so there were maybe 10 of us. Um, and in exchange for their help, I would teach them what I knew about chocolate making. Uh, we started making chocolates by the thousands, and we'd sell out in minutes in our small high school. Whoa. <laughs> so uh, no profit for me there, but it was a lot of experience. And then by the time I got to college and I needed a side job, uh, I started selling originally just the farmer's market. Uh, sold at the farmer's market for quite a while. A local chocolate shop saw me there and picked me up. Uh, and then I started making product for them. And then a local bakery coffee shop as well started carrying my truffles as well. Um, and then through the chocolate shop, they entered me in a few competitions that I did very well at, earned them some awards they could put in the shop. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I paid for my ingredients. It, paid for part of my college, but not a huge chunk of it. It was never that lucrative, but it paid for all of my ingredients and it paid for all of the trial and error that I wanted to do with it. Um, it eventually grew into other products that were better in the summer. So I got into fudges and caramels too. I uh, got into French macaroons or macarons. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. I, I enjoyed it. Okay. That's a pretty interesting take because I feel like a lot of times when people want to get into a hobby, they kind of think about just funding the hobby to do the hobby from other external sources, but you use the hobby to fund the hobby. And I think that's a pretty cool takeaway from that story. Yeah, that's been kind of a theme for me for a lot of my hobbies. I've just sell enough with it to recruit my cost and then I'm happy with it. So. Okay, very cool. You entered, you entered the dairy industry before, I will get to your current career, but did the chocolate stuff kind of influence that in any way? Because at least in my current experience, trying to get a job, you tend to get things that your educational history has kind of bolstered you for. And so was that part of the reason why you ended up in the dairy industry? Uh, no, I would say I kind of fell into it. Okay. Um, I, I've enjoyed the dairy industry, but I always wanted to be in the chocolate industry. And I did all this entrepreneur work in the hopes that I would 
come out of college and work as a product developer for a chocolate company. Ah. The reality is there's a very small number of large-scale bean-to-bar chocolate manufacturers in the country full stop, and most of them don't do a ton of R&D work, so there's not a big team of scientists for it. Ultimately, I was competing for one of like 15 jobs in the nation, um, so I, I got a bit discouraged from that. Um, while I was in college, uh, University of Idaho and Washington State at the time shared their food science program. I, I, I think I heard they may not anymore, but uh, Washington State's uh, specialty is the dairy side of things. And so uh, I also worked at their campus creamery for a lot of years, making cheese and ice cream, building up dairy experience, and then ended up getting cold called uh, out of college. Uh, they keep our resumes for the food scientists on file and local companies will peruse that and one of them called me because I had that dairy experience. So your comment is correct. Like you do tend to get into industries that you have experience with, but I also had experience in dairy. Uh, I did have uh, I did go to a chocolate and confections conference in Pennsylvania. I met uh, a lot of representatives from Lint Chocolate there, and they also extended me an offer out of college, but it would have been for their quality assurance team. So I was kind of having a hard time choosing between product development that I wanted to do but in the wrong industry versus chocolate work that was the right industry but in the wrong application of it. Uh, and I ended up going with the dairy side, and I, I'm pretty happy I did. Um, but that's how I got into it. Okay. Speaking on the dairy, well, moving on from dairy, how did you make that transition into plant-based, which is your current role? Because I have seen students struggle with moving from, let's say they got a QA, a quality assurance internship, they tend to only be accepted for other quality assurance internships. So how do you kind of navigate and, and move into another section like that? Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that is where ConAgra was a big influence for me because ConAgra makes all kinds of products and they also have a culture where you can uh, pretty easily move between product categories. So. I had my time in the cheese industry, and then I had my time in the ice cream industry, um, and then when I came here, uh, I was the dairy technical lead for a time, but mostly I came because I wanted to branch out, um, gotcha. and so all of my work here has been outside of the dairy industry. Um, I won't say I had a ton of control over the product categories that I worked on over my time here. I probably could have exerted more influence if I wanted to, but at the time I was happy to just try new stuff. So I started with frozen entrees, I got moved to toppings, uh, ice cream toppings, which is very much in line with my wheelhouse, um, and then got shifted over to plant-based. Uh, I wasn't even a big consumer in plant-based at the time. I didn't know a lot about it, but I've been very happy to be here since. And I uh, now I anticipate I'll try and keep my career in the plant-based space as opposed to uh, continuing to pursue the chocolate work. Okay. And it, is that because of the technical things behind the plant-based as opposed to dairy, ice cream, and, and those kind of products? 
that's part of it, certainly. Um, I'd say part of it is an environmental responsibility, too. Um, when I lived in, uh, when I worked in ice cream, it was in Bakersfield, California. Bakersfield's reputation precedes it as being the city with the worst air quality in the nation. Um, there are mountains that surround Bakersfield. You can never see them. The smog is too bad. Uh, there's two rivers that used to flow through Bakersfield. They both dried up. Um, as far as climate change goes, it's a fairly depressing place to be. And so I came away from that wanting to have more of an impact. And that's a lot of why I've gravitated towards plant-based. It is technically challenging, certainly, and I've enjoyed that. Um, but I also really enjoy feeling like if I do a good job and I come out with good enough new products that deliver the right kind of plant-based experience that people are looking for, then I can drive more people away from meat consumption and reduce global carbon footprint somewhat. Maybe that's a bit idealistic, but uh, if I can do that a bit, I'll feel pretty good. Yeah, I think a, a lot of current food scientists share that perspective. I also think that the dairy industry is definitely coming under a lot of pressure right now. Uh, since I am a milk taster for the Milk Quality Improvement Program, I definitely see the envelope being pushed on the dairy industry side, trying to make better quality products and trying to stay relevant. But there's definitely more of a focus on trying to reduce those carbon-intensive products. Um, and so do you foresee... Well, what what's your opinion on how the dairy industry will change and then uh, how do you see the uh, plant-based protein industry changing as well well right now most of the plant-based space focuses around meat analogs i mean there are certainly dairy alternatives but i i don't think they get as much traction uh, my impression is that um dairy is saved somewhat by being incredibly complicated as a as a system it's very hard to emulate a lot of the properties that come with cheese or uh, even milk just most dairy products are hard to truly mimic uh, butter certainly um, so because of that uh, I think the dairy industry is perhaps under slightly less immediate pressure than what the meat industry might be okay. um, but I suppose that ultimately boils down to consumer preference as well um, for me personally I've switched to being a vegetarian since my time on plant-based but I'm uh, considering also cutting out more dairy but that's uh, it's a harder thing for me because of my history with it but I also feel like it's going to be an important step so it, Yep. It's a consideration. I, I would like to see plant-based options get better in the dairy space, but I understand it's very complicated at the moment, and most Americans grow up having huge amounts of cheese as a staple in their diet, and it's really hard to change away from that. Yeah, uh, I'm definitely one of those people who have difficulty moving away from cheese, especially since it is quote-unquote addictive, right? Um <laughs> But yeah, it, do you think there is any, like, what do you see being uh, the future state, I guess, of plant-based 
products in general, not just proteins, but just trying to phase out the meat industry slowly? Yeah. Well, I suppose I'd say the first thing is plant-based is going to become a slightly outdated term um, because a lot of the alternatives we're looking at are not specifically in the plant uh, category. Um, most would divide up meat alternatives into three main buckets, um, the plant-based side, uh, the cultivated or cultured side, uh, like lab-grown meats, things like that, just very up-and-coming but not cost-effective right now, and then fermented products as a third category. You see microproteins here, you see, uh, there's a variety of other options in that space. Um, I would say plant-based has been explored quite a bit, and there's always more to do there in terms of looking at new types of uh, beans, more types of pulses as far as sources for protein. Um, but I think personally, you can only go so far that way. Um, I think the other two segments need to grow a bit more. Um, what I'd love to see for the plant-based space is I'd love to see it become mainstream enough that we can start to get some cost advantages and start to be line priced against the meat options. If that becomes the case, I think it'll be a more enticing option. But right now, plant-based is reliably more expensive than meat options or cheese options. And uh, as a result, it can be a hard sell even for somebody who wants to eat more responsibility, especially uh, or responsibly, especially with inflation and everything else. But we see it as a luxury good, yeah. and it needs to be a not just a luxury good. Yeah, sometimes I have difficulty describing to people that although people can vote with their dollars, sometimes it's difficult to do so because of the price point. And so, like, you can want it very badly, but if it's going to, say, take money away from your rent, it's kind of hard to justify going for for that plant-based burger yep. instead of just buying a regular like just ground beef. You don't even have to buy the burger. You can just make the burger yourself, which is, I don't even know, maybe 50% cheaper. I'm not too sure what it is at right now. But. I don't know I don't know how political you intend to get with this, but it's worth pointing out, too, that the meat industry and the dairy industries are both heavily subsidized by the government as well, which helps mm -hmm. keep their price down. Um, there are some governments that are starting to explore subsidizing plant-based as okay. an option to help with more environmental responsibility, and that would be a huge step towards making it cost competitive. Um, I don't think that's on the U.S.'s agenda anytime soon, um, but that would have a huge impact on the industry as a whole if more countries start doing that. Um, at the expense of the meat industry. Gotcha. Okay. And then for any new students out there that want to enter either the plant-based or uh, the, the, I guess, alternative protein space or uh, the dairy industry, how do you recommend them going about that during their undergrad uh, time? And should they be, I don't know, doing labs or uh, what type of experiences should they be gunning for? Yeah. I mean, of course, the more experience you can get in those types of products, the better. Um, a lot of universities that dabble in this area have uh, extruder, high moisture extrusion technology in their labs. Um, I know University of Omaha is in that category. Uh, 
exploring and getting exposure to that kind of equipment is a huge boon. Um, but honestly, even just being a consumer in that space, I think is a big help. Um, for ConAgra, we bought Gardein as a brand only a couple years back. And uh, at the time, none of the developers from ConAgra who worked on it uh, had any great history eating plant-based. And that started to shift as time's gone on. But um, having that perspective of a consumer is more helpful than uh, people might give it credit for. But okay. the disclaimer is every company's hiring and every manager's hiring process is different. Um, sure. So I would say the most universal way to get your foot in the door there is experience with that category specifically. Um, whether that's in the extruder technology, whether that's uh, in terms of graduate research or anything of that nature, that would be the best way. Um, but personally, being a consumer, I think certainly couldn't hurt. Okay. Um, I actually have someone that um, I'm talking to a lot right now about what they want to do in the future. And they say they really like ice cream, but kind of shy away from eating. Like they want to work on ice cream, but kind of shy away from actually eating the product. And so it's kind of hard. Uh, like let's say someone is um, wants to get into the alternative protein space, but they love eating just meat. Is that still valuable? Right? Is it? valuable to have a really strong meat background and then just kind of do the science behind the alternative meats. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I'd say we need both, really. Okay. And we have both represented in our team right now. Uh, we have vegans on our team and we have people on our team who just transferred over after a lifelong history working in the meat industry. Um, a, a big gap with a lot of uh, the new up-and-comers in the plant-based space is a lack of familiarity with meat products because they as developers don't eat them at all um, so that can be just as problematic as no experience in the plant-based space i think both perspectives are pretty critical okay this just my two cents but i like that perspective of having of making sure that both perspectives are being met um, and i think i've seen that a lot at conagra as a company you're, you're always getting both sides of the coin in a lot of situations. Um, and I th this is the first time I've been at a company where you're doing cuttings and making sure that you have other people coming to try your food instead of just doing it yourself. Um, and I think as an intern myself, I, um, I didn't take as much advantage of that as I should have. Uh, just look, looking back on it now. Uh, and so, how do you think, I guess, undergraduate students or even graduate students can get, uh, I guess, different perspectives on, uh, let's say, their own products that they're working on? Let's say they want to become a chocolatier part-time, like you were. How do you go about getting those different perspectives? Uh, is it just your friends, or do you have a, a certain resource or method that you would recommend someone to, to get those different perspectives, whether, whether it's on their product or a career choice or I don't know if, if you were I don't know if you explored getting mentorship before um, yeah yeah and 
I mean, it's easy with chocolate. Like you can pretty much go up to anybody and ask if they want to try some chocolate and give you an opinion on it. Um, I certainly had no shortage of friends who were interested in trying my cookie projects as well. But I think you'll find, especially for undergrads in a food science program, that their their other food science friends will always be happy to try things. And I would strongly encourage anyone to do so. The reality is. Everybody has their own biases in how they taste things, and that's not just based on their eating habits. It's based on biologically people's tongues work differently. I mean, you know, some people taste soap and cilantro, for example, and others don't. Some people yeah. taste bitter more strongly and others don't. Like, you need that full perspective. A lot of what we see for certain plant-based analogs is sometimes an aftertaste is really, really crystal clear to a quarter of the tasters and not to the others. And you have to keep all that in perspective when you go to, uh, to launch a new item or see how one of your variables is doing. What advice would you give to an undergraduate who's trying to see how successful, like trying to be successful in a new company, um, what would you tell them to do, I guess, right out of the gate when they first uh, get into their role? Hmm. Good question. Um, I would say, I suppose the first piece of it is get as much exposure to the food industry as you can while during school, this is helpful not just that you can hit the ground running in your job, but also to get the job in the first place. Um, having a resume that looks like, well, I went to school, here's my undergraduate resume, and it just shows my degree, and that's it, um, we'll have a hard time sticking out. Um, I would say there's all kinds of ways to get other experience. I was on the product development team in school. Uh, a job in the food industry or even in a restaurant shows that sort of uh, aptitude and can be part of it. Uh, if you can get an internship, it's great. Um, if you can't get an internship, then put some entrepreneurship on your resume. Like It doesn't have to be complicated. I know that concept can sound hard, but all it has to do, all you have to do is sell your favorite baked goods at the farmer's market for one week of the summer, and then you can say you're an entrepreneur, and uh, that'll show up on your resume, and that'll look great. Um, so I'd say that's a great thing to do in college, as far as when you first start out. Um, it's going to depend who you are, but getting to know others, setting up one-on-one -on -one meetings with people you expect to work with quite a bit, finding a buddy who's also fairly new, but maybe a year or two has been in the industry already and can answer questions will always be helpful. Um, but in general, I think the food science industry is pretty friendly, pretty welcoming. I've never worked for a company that was harsh on people who are still learning. So, Yeah, I definitely felt that welcoming atmosphere here and at my previous internships. Uh, it is a very small community. If anyone out there is trying to find an industry that uh, is very close-knit, food science will definitely be one of those because uh, I could speak to my own college class or about 30 people big and I think every class after uh, under us is about 30 people big and then we're considered one of the larger food science programs on top of that. So keeping that in mind, uh, I think it's a great industry for that reason. And then competition-wise, because uh, I, I, I've told this to some other food science undergraduates, your only real competition outside of other food scientists is like chemical engineers, 
but even then their focus isn't the food industry despite it being a, a rather large industry and I think an industry with a lot of openings I don't you can correct me if I'm wrong here but I, I think for that reason uh, or for many reasons the food industry is a really cool place to be yeah it, it's absolutely been a great industry to be in uh, at the time that I was in college the statistic was there were four food science jobs for every one graduate um, I don't know if that's changed a bit since then I'm sure it has but uh, it's still very true that there's almost always jobs available. I mean, as I mentioned, I got cold called out of college for my first job and I've been headhunted for every job since then. I've never had to do a real job search process. Um, and that's a luxury of the food science world that uh, makes it a really nice place to be. You'll always have options. If your current job isn't working out, you know, there'll always be more opportunities for you elsewhere. The only, I guess, disclaimer I might say to that is that uh, food science jobs tend to be where food production is, which means if you grew up in a large city and you're looking to go back to a large city, those opportunities might be a little more scarce. We do have an office in Chicago and there are some other companies that do as well, but I would say by and large the industry is in small towns. Um, I grew up in a bigger city. I've had this issue. It took me a few jobs hops before I could get to a city of Omaha's size. Um, something to be aware of, but for all the other benefits of the industry, it, it's probably not the biggest deal. Yep. I, I can agree with that. Uh, me being from Miami, Florida, looking for something in that area just was, was not very easy to do. Uh, and then I, I think um, I've come to terms with that in the past couple of years because I was like, yeah, I'm probably not going to be in a big city like that for a while. Uh, Cornell is in upstate New York, not a big city place. And then you have Omaha, Nebraska, which is pretty large. It was much bigger than I thought it would be. Mm -hmm. um, but even then, it's nothing compared to like a, a New York, a Chicago, or Miami, a, a Miami yeah. LA, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that's definitely a big disclaimer. Uh, but not something to... I guess shy away from because it's not impossible to land somewhere that you think would be pretty fun and plant-based can be the exception to that too a lot of these oh, yeah. trendy plant-based startups are in big cities i mean um beyond and impossible or in pretty big uh, california cities if memory serves um there are pretty big cities for plant-based because i guess they're currently smaller or less close to their production but in general, that is the trend. Yeah, I think just two is in, uh, like just egg and all that is also in California. Yep, something to look out for there too. Um, yeah. Any any closing remarks here? I don't think so. It's been great talking to you today. Uh, this is this has been good. I'm happy to share my experiences. I definitely appreciate it and uh, your advice and guidance throughout this internship. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate this. Um, we'll end it off here. Uh, make sure to like and subscribe <laughs> on the channel. And uh, yeah, take care. That's it for this episode. Thank you for visiting Bert's World. Make sure to follow the podcast wherever you're listening. If you'd like to view the conversation as well as listen, visit my YouTube channel, Bert's World Podcast. Follow the podcast on Instagram and Twitter for updates, behind the scenes, and to engage with me. Music and socials in the description. See you on the next episode.